A Light to the Nations is a production of the Ephesus School Network. Einstein was then celebrating uh, the 70th birthday anniversary, and there was a colloquium given for him. And he said, God doesn't play dice with the universe. No, he, he just plays hide and seek. There is something greater than what we see on the surface, the crystalline existences, the materialism, the, the greed. An artist, if he's truly an artist, wants to, wants to do the will of God. Hello. And welcome to episode 34 of A Light to the Nations. I'm your host, Father Fred Shaheen. Today, we will be discussing a passage that corresponds to the 16th Sunday of Matthew in the lectionary of the Orthodox Church. Let's begin by hearing the text of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more." His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth, Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, 
and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The first thing we can point out is that this passage appears in the middle of Matthew chapter 25. It is sandwiched between the parable of the ten virgins at the beginning of the chapter and that of the last judgment at the conclusion. The parable of the virgins and the one we just heard have a common element linking them. In the former, the virgins have to be ready to meet the bridegroom who is said to be arriving soon, but at a day and hour they don't know. And in the latter, the servants of the man are entrusted with his goods. The man then takes a journey into a far country and returns after a long time to reckon with his servants. Since Matthew 25 culminates with the Son of Man coming in his glory and judging all the tribes of the earth, we should hear the two earlier parables as both pertaining to judgment. The first one stresses readiness, and the second, accountability. A key element in both is the temporary absence of the judge, who in the first case is cast as the bridegroom, and in the second as the owner of property. And herein lies the tension in the narrative. What are you going to do with his goods while the one who entrusted you with them is away? At this point, I want to go on a brief aside. In the Bible, the function of God is first and foremost as judge. This claim isn't based on a theological statement or a philosophical premise. It is based solely on the data in the biblical text. We can state that the biblical God is primarily a judge because that's the way he acts in the biblical stories. Indeed, the first utterance by the Lord God to Adam in Genesis 2 is a commandment. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Verses 16 and 17 of Genesis 2. And after the commandment is breached, the same Lord God issues words of judgment in chapter 3, pronouncing curses against the serpent and against the ground, and sending Adam forth from the garden. We should note that after he issues his commandment in chapter 2, the Lord God doesn't hover around to see if Adam abides by what he said. Rather, he recedes for a while and comes back later to check on things. In his book, The Rise of Scripture, Father Paul Tarazi calls this God playing the role of the absentee landlord. That is to say, he removes himself from the scene for a time on purpose in order to test the resolve of those he commands to abide by his will in his absence. Genesis 2 and 3 is the earliest example of this, but his disappearing and then returning later at an undetermined time is the classic mechanism used throughout Scripture to portray God as judge. This, then, is the significance in Matthew 25 of the man delivering his goods, then taking a journey into a far country and only returning after a long while. Once again, given its position in this part of Matthew, 
This passage pertains to judgment, specifically to servants being held accountable to the owner of the valuable property he had left them in charge of while he went away. We hear that the man delivered to one of his servants five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent. We might question why the talents are given in different amounts. Certainly the owner of the property has the right to distribute them as he sees fit, and according to what he deems to be in his best interest, knowing well his servants. We hear this reasoning in the text of the parable. In verse 15 it says, He gave to each according to his ability. So the owner determines what each servant is capable of, and even though the amount he gives to each one varies, the servants are held equally accountable for his goods. Given that this parable uses money as its metaphor, the action of the faithful servants is to trade the talents and to gain more by doing so. The first two servants double the amount of money that was entrusted to them and are commended by the owner upon his return. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Here we can make a few more observations. First is the correspondence between the amount of money entrusted to each of the servants and his reward for being faithful with that. The master distributed to them according to what they were capable of. When they were faithful over a little, the reward was being put in charge of much. The master is not interested in the servants per se. He already knows the ability of each, and he only expects them to be faithful in that. He doesn't expect them to grow individually. He is not waiting to be surprised by them or for them to impress him by doing anything extraordinary. He is interested solely in getting a good return on his property. Thus, the reward of more work with greater responsibility is presented in terms of abiding by the master's will. Enter into the joy of your Lord, we hear twice, once in verse 21 and repeated in verse 23. Another peculiar feature of this parable is the lack of specifics given to the servants before the man went on his journey. This absence of data raises a valid question. How are the servants supposed to know what to do with the goods? And why doesn't the text here include specific instructions? The likely reason is that by this point, it's already been laid out repeatedly and in great detail. This parable appears in Matthew chapter 25. Earlier in chapters 5, 6, and 7, Matthew gives us Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is the law binding on those who pertain to the Messiah. We might say that the expectation here is that one already knows what's required of the Master. And if one doesn't know, well, it may be too late. Immediately following this parable, beginning with verse 31, Matthew presents to us the scene of the Son of Man coming in glory to sit on the throne and to judge all nations of the earth. In those passages, the criteria for that judgment is articulated with specificity. For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. 
I was in prison, and you came unto me. We also hear the inverse of the same. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. And the verdict is either blessings or curses, inasmuch as one did or did not do it to the least of these, thus doing unto the one who sits on the throne to judge. One final important feature of this parable is the use of a word that is translated as exchangers. Some translations render it bankers. The servant who is given the one talent and who hid it is condemned by the master as wicked and lazy. He is told that he should have at least put his master's money with the bankers so that at his coming his master would have received his own with interest. Given that the goods are presented in the parable as talents, that is to say, a large sum of money, it fits with the metaphor to speak of depositing, trading, and thus earning more money as one would do at a bank. However, in the original, that word is trapezites, the first meaning of which is not bankers. The word trapezon means table in Greek. Its rendering as bank in the similar parable in the Gospel of Luke from chapter 19, is due to its association with the table that one would use to count money on. And although it fits the metaphor, bank is only a secondary meaning of trapezon. Matthew expands Luke's reference from the table itself to the people who sit at the table. Thus, in his parable, we get trapezites rendered bankers. Once again, as this parable immediately precedes the coming of the Son of Man in glory as a judge, in which the specific criteria of judgment are laid out, and which involve giving food to the hungry and drink to the thirsty, the same teaching is reinforced and the conclusion is inescapable. Doing the will of the Master entails nothing other than depositing his valuable goods among those with whom you share a table. And so, in spite of the owner's extended absence in this parable, his servants are still required to not only know his will, but to abide by it, and in doing so, to render unto him what he entrusted to them, along with whatever more they earned, as it's put here, to give him back his own with interest." The danger of thinking that because of his prolonged absence the master may never return is that when he eventually does return, one is still accountable to him. And here is where we should understand God's invisibility not as some essential quality, but rather as a way he chooses to behave in the story. It actually functions to show God's mercy. Matthew 25 shows that the settling of accounts in verse 19 precedes judgment in verse 31. The scriptural God extends his mercy upon us by not appearing yet, thus giving us time before he does appear as judge to repent, that is to hear again the instruction so that we may change our behavior and do his will. This concludes episode 34 of A Light to the Nations. I hope you've enjoyed listening today, and I look forward to meeting you again 
in two weeks. Thank you. All right, God loves me because I respect him. I respect him like he's the man above and stuff like that. That's my, he ain't but that's my man. There it is.